0: Hello, and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Tim Ferguson. Here's the show. All right, man, so just tell me a little bit about your background, your upbringing, and just kind of everything that led uh, to where you found yourself years ago.
1: I grew up uh, in Avondale Estates, and my uh, parents were very uh, strong Christians. Uh, we went to church every time the door was open. And uh, the my perception of the church that we attended was, well, was that it was very emotionally driven. Um, it was like, uh, my perception would be that you went down to the altar and uh, the, you got struck by a bolt of lightning and were good to go for life. Mm. There was not a lot of, to me, learning uh, the word. It was mm. just very uh, emotional driven and uh there was no uh drinking in the house mm-hmm. and we went to church every time the doors were open sunday night wednesday night if there was a revival, we went every night mm-hmm. and uh and as i said my parents did not drink and we were not allowed to do a lot of things that I thought that other kids were allowed to do. We weren't allowed to go to movies. My mother uh, didn't wear pants and uh, a lot of the people that uh, we went, I went to church with uh, the ladies uh, maybe didn't wear makeup or didn't cut their hair. And so I felt very different than most of the friends that, that i went to school with and um i felt like we were not normal I, I, it was i was very i can remember just being like obsessed with i would just wish my family was normal mm. and uh, i
0: felt that way you know as like a homeschooler and now it's kind of normal or whatever but just like everybody growing up, everybody knew everybody else from school and stuff, and I just didn't have that. I just was an outsider kind of everywhere for a while.
1: We lived on the outskirts of town in sort of an industrial area, and there weren't a lot of kids, and I was um, isolated a good bit, and um, my I didn't have a lot of friends. They would come, the children would come and go. Most of the houses around us were rental houses. Mm-hmm. And, um, one day I told my mom, I wish I had a friend to play with. And mm-hmm. she said, why don't you just come up with an imaginary friend? Mm-hmm. Well, that was, uh, I took it to extreme and, uh, I would have an entire football game, uh, halftime show, uh, dating the cheerleader. And of course, uh, in that situation, the good part about it is my team would always win and I would always be (laughs) the hero of the game. Didn't you feel like you were rigging it though? Uh, no. And, and also one of the byproducts of that was I was a very poor uh, loser, um, I expected my team to win every game and, uh, I would get very upset, uh, if I didn't win. And, and also I was very quiet and shy uh, around people, but also on the other extreme, I could have a violent temper, temper, especially, uh, when it came to, uh, losing at uh, sporting events and, and. Like I had an older brother that was five years older than me, and if he would beat me at something, uh, I would. I picked up rocks, and I think he quit playing with me when I picked up an axe, but uh, mm-hmm. bricks. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, when when I was eleven, we moved, and also uh, something that a very significant thing that when I was around six, um, I had uh, I cousins that were um were a year older or a year younger than me and we did some sexual ins- experimentation uh, at that at, at that age and, and it stopped around that age when I was very young but uh I carried that with me for a long long time and it really tormented me and uh, I felt a lot of remorse guilt and shame over uh the fact that uh that that had happened. and uh, But when I was 11 years old, we moved from the outskirts of town into the city. And I went from having very few friends to be being surrounded by the people that I went to school with and having many, many people to play with, kids to play with. But one of the things that, well, down the street from where I lived, there was a, a private swimming pool the city swimming pool and we were not members of it you had to pay to be a member of it my dad always said it was too expensive and so that once again kind of made me feel like uh, I was not normal and then when I began to go to these friends homes and um, they opened up their refrigerator door and I would see beer and wine or I would see a liquor cabinet uh, stocked in their home, that was shocking to me Mm -hmm. because um, the only people I had ever known who had drank alcohol were uncles and grandfathers who drank alcoholically. Mm -hmm. And to see people have nice homes and nice cars and good jobs and, and going to church and having alcohol in their home uh, was quite eye-opening to me. I, I didn't know those two things went together. So as my high school years went on, I wanted to fit in with that group. Um, you know, they went to the mainstream church, and like I said, you know, their parents had all their parents had all the appearances of they were cool. Not like my parents, they looked like they were having a lot more fun than I was, and I wanted to fit in with that that peer group. And really, uh, I believed—I don't think consciously at the time—but I be- believe that um, I felt that alcohol was what made me fit in with that group. Um, you know, proving that I could, uh, drink and, and cuss and do all the things that go along with alcohol just as well as anybody else could. And, and, uh, and it, it gave me the perception that, um, I, that I fit, I, I now fit in with those people, uh, because I drank with them and, They became uh, my closest friends. And uh, in high school, um, the crowd that I was friends with, many of them were high achievers, uh, good students, um, star athletes. uh, But they also partied very hard. And I was not a high achiever uh, or a star athlete. I just did the party part. And I was a fan. I sat on the sidelines. I was a, a fan of of life, of what was going on around me. Uh, but I was, and I wanted the accolades, and I wanted the achievement. But I did not want to work to do it. I did not have that concept of the way you achieve in life is by hard work. I honestly thought that um, most people who were in um, important positions in life um, had conned their way there or manipulated their way into that situation. And I did not, my parents did not instill in me um, that work ethic. Uh, My dad said, You need to get an education so you won't have to work hard like me. Or my mom would say, you know, Tim doesn't have to study. He can just go to class, and he's so smart he doesn't even have to study. So I didn't, and I made marginal grades. I passed, but I could have done a lot better uh, had I pushed myself. And uh, I drank on the weekends with my friends um, all through high school, by the time I was a senior, um, it had become a very um, important part of my life. Um, I very much looked forward to it. Also, to should mention that um, when I was 11 years old, um, I had an uncle who was the father of those two uh, cousins that I mentioned earlier. And he was, um, in my opinion, at that time— in, I perceived him as being the worst person on the face of the earth. Um, He was loud, obnoxious, um, drank a lot, um, cussed a lot, uh, was in and out of jail a lot, didn't take care of his family um, because of all of that. And when I was 11 years old, my mother told me that my grandmother had accused her of having an affair with this man. And also said that, um, I was a product of the affair and then, but she never did say whether it was true or not. So here I am 11 years old thinking the person that I most despise on the face of the earth might be my biological father. And also, uh, that, I carried that with me for a long, long time. And, uh, that, and that was one of the benefits that I got from alcohol that I was not looking for. I, when I started drinking, I started drinking totally just to fit in. I wasn't trying to blot the world out or forget. Um, I just thought it would help me fit in and, and I felt like it did. But the byproduct that I found from the the effect, the physical effect of alcohol, was it suppressed all of those um, things that um, bad memories from my childhood, and pushed them way deep down inside, and uh, helped me to forget them. Um, I felt, um, but. Uh, By the time I was a senior in high school, I pulled up to a car wash just before school started and the cheerleaders were doing this car wash. And when I pulled up and got out of the car, uh, one of the girls said, well, here's the class drunk. And I would have worn that as a badge of honor had not my uncle also been standing there getting his car wash and heard what the girl had said. And then when I got on into college, um, it became um, uh, more frequent during the week. And I began to have uh, problems as a result of uh, my drinking uh, relationship problems, school problems, work problems, um, law problems, DUIs, I didn't always get in trouble every time I was drinking, but every time I got in trouble, I was drinking. It was and it was a cause from drinking. And uh, I, uh, in my early twenties, uh, it escalated from alcohol also to drugs and um, a, a lot of amphetamines and cocaine. And the thing that I discovered about those drugs was that I could drink and drink and drink and drink and continue going and stay awake and not pass out. And, and my friends and I sort of got uh, off kind of off the deep end, um, into, to that stuff and running the streets of Atlanta and. Staying out all night long and walking out of the bars when the sun was coming up, and just leading a very uh, destructive and, and immoral life. And uh, I, at that point, I was so far out there, I, I did not believe there was anything such as true and false. Mm. Or go ahead. Mm. The next question um,
0: is: Was there ever a season in your past, whether mental or spiritual, that you felt you would never get out of? And I ask this every time because uh, five or six years ago, I was in—I uh, was going through depression, which I had never gone through before, and uh, because of a failed uh, relationship and uh, or my first, you know, relationship, and um, and just in that time. In that season, like, this overwhelming thought in my head from the devil was, like, the way you feel right now, like, trapped and isolated, you'll always feel like this, that just, you, there's no way out of this, you will always feel this way. And, uh, and I've said this before, but, like, there was a part of me that knew that that wasn't necessarily true, that there was hope for me, and that things could be different again, but I didn't know if that was true or if I was just telling myself that to try to feel better. And those moments led me to and a really my very first honest encounter with God. But uh, but going back uh, to you, was there ever a time that you felt it, you would never get out of?
1: Here? Yes, and let me give just a brief, a little bit more background until we get to that lead up to that point. And I got a, a job, a, a good job and had some success and went through a divorce and got remarried to my current wife, who was a, a very much a stabilizing effect in my life. And that I was 30 when I'm 31, when we were married. And, uh, From the time I was 31 till I was 40, uh, when I stopped, uh, 41 when I stopped drinking, uh, for 10 years of our marriage, um, I was drinking uh, excessively. And it kept getting gradually and gradually worse, even though there was some success in there in my career. And that success gave me the illusion that, well, I must be doing things right. You know, this must be fine what I'm doing. Uh, we, we sold a house, we bought a new house and, and I got promoted. And, uh, when I got promoted, I went to working at night and that was, uh, the, uh, the bottom, uh, was coming very quickly at that point because, um, uh, Being really, I was a functioning alcoholic at the time. And when I was faced with the challenge of working at night, um, it was a disastrous combination. Uh, I would come home from work, uh, and uh, if I did not have a bottle of liquor under my seat, I would go straight to the liquor store um, from work. And then I would get home, and my family was not home. So I would just drink myself to sleep. And this vicious cycle uh, went on um, for a while. And, yes, I got very depressed. Um, I was very afraid that I was never going to be able to stop drinking. Um, I, you know, I, I never quite got to the point of being suicidal because of I would think of my children, and I did not want them to have to uh, carry that with them. Uh, for the rest of their lives, but I I do recall being so down and so depressed, I did not want the sun to come up, I would just soon just lay in the bed, and my biggest fear was that I was never going to be able to quit drinking, because if, and and it just, it had me, um, it it had me in its grip, I couldn't live with it, I couldn't live without it, and um You know that I I remember just laying in bed crying, thinking, you know, uh, what, thinking that I was going to lose everything. I was going to lose my job. I was going to lose my family. I was going to lose where I was um, living. And, And and if I lost all that, then what's the use of 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 living? And um and uh, but I still couldn't stop. And um. I uh, went to some recovery uh, program and uh, in and out, in and out, in and out, and uh, was able to, did meet some people, and I saw that many people who were uh, involved in this program um, were uh, living, they, I could tell by their, the way they had talked, they had drank like I did, but they weren't living like I was anymore. And, um, I was laying on my bathroom floor one morning, um, feeling so sick inside that I was just trying to throw up the feeling. And, and I laid there and I said, God help me. That's all I could say. That was my prayer was God help me. And, um, two, two men call me, I have no idea how they knew my situation, both of them have passed on now, but, uh, they came and, uh, and, and helped me and, um, got me back, uh, in a recovery program, and, uh, that was on a Wednesday, and, um, that, from that, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, I began to pray, uh, very, very, um, uh, earnestly, sincerely, fervently for God to remove the desire, the, not the desire, but the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh,
0: it's like the the underlying things
1: that drove you to, to that well, place, right? No, just just uh, the obsession. That is the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for, that God would l- lift the obsession to drink from me. Mm-hmm. But, and uh, I, I prayed that till Sunday morning. And uh, my thoughts were that if the preacher was preaching on, that I felt like that God was speaking to me through him, that I was going to go down to the altar. Uh, that morning and, uh, he preached a sermon on a man with unclean lips who lived amongst a people of unclean lips. And that is a scripture from the Bible that I should know where it is, but that was pretty much the gist of it. And that pretty much hit me nail on the head. And so I went down to the altar, and I prayed. And as I was down there, I felt like my prayers weren't going any further than the ceiling. And I'd been down to the altar hundreds of times in my life and felt that nothing had really ever happened before. Before, when I went down there, and this was just one more time, and as I got up, it felt like somebody grabbed me by the back of the shirt and picked me up but I turned around and no one was there. And I, I really kind of hesitate sometimes to even mention that mm. because I don't think God has to move that dramatically on everybody's life or do something physical like that. But I was so down, I just felt like he had to show me that he was for real, you know? And uh, and I felt like the, the obsession to drink was lifted from me at that point, but I felt an immediate sense of, okay, I've taken this from you, but you're going to have to work for it now. And, um, because going back to what you were saying, the underlying causes, um, drinking is just a symptom of of my alcoholism. And, uh, I began to, uh, go through, Um, the 12-step process that uh, um, are in so many um, recovery programs today. And uh, I did not, I didn't have a clue how to live. And I did not live on any principled uh, life. I was, I would be whoever I thought that, the crowd wanted me to be that I was in at the time. And um, I had no plan for living. It was just get up every day and try to survive and um, try to meet my wants. Mm. And uh, so going through the process of the 12 steps, um, and, and and my thoughts were, well, when I first quit drinking, I thought I was just a really nice guy who drank way too much. But when I was sober for a few months and began to look at myself through this 12-step process, I really realized what a rotten person I was. Mm. And uh this began to to build a foundation uh, for my life, to where I live by the twelve principles that are mm. behind those steps, beginning with the foundation, which is honesty. Right. If I if I'm not completely honest, then uh, I can't. Uh, mm. There is no foundation.
0: And that leads to uh, the next question, um, which is, what day to day things uh, have you changed? whether mental or literal, to not go back to old negative mental ruts, you know what
1: I mean? One of the things that I've learned uh, in recovery that is absolutely essential and one of the most important things that I do every day is to get up and have a time of reading, prayer, and meditation. Most people live in the three dimensions of the mental, physical, and emotional. And to get up first thing in the morning and tap into that spiritual dimension is so important. And it's saying to myself, I'm not in charge of my life. God's in charge of my life. And also, as I read my daily reflections, uh, God speaks to me through those daily reflections. And so many times, gives me what i need for that day and um the bible says be still and know that i am god it doesn't say run around like a chicken with your head cut off and run out the door and try to prove to the world you're somebody it says be still and know that i am god Um,
0: the last question is what would you say to someone who is between who they used to be and who they wish they were you know they're like right on this fringe of of you know they i don't know maybe they're cynical of a different version of them a better version of them or this all sounds very tony robbins to them that it's just like um you know it's great that you get up every day and meditate but you know but i get up and my kids are screaming or just whatever that is which i'm sure you've experienced that too because you do have kids but just what do you say to someone who is on the brink of these two things of who they were and who they you know in a different version of the, you?
1: Know. well, um, if you like what you're getting, keep doing what you're doing, but if you want to uh, something different, um I have to change, and uh, I can want to change. I can need to change, but changing is not, you know, recovery is not a, a feeling. Mm. It's an action. Mm. We have, to, I have to take action to change. If if I want something to be different, I have to take action and um, every day um, start my day that way. And, um, pray throughout the day as I go through my life. Then every night, um, I read some of the Bible. Um, i read other literature and, uh, I try to reflect upon each day and, uh, do an inventory of the day and, and, and most, and not just focus on what, uh, I wish I would have done better because there's probably a lot of good things I did in that day, probably a lot more good things than bad or or things I wish I would have done differently. And uh and then, you know, if there were things I wish I would have done differently, think about, you know, and pray about it, ask God. So, would you say that
0: um as your as, you know, your story has progressed that you have gone from being emotionally driven to slowly walking towards being principally driven that or that's just what i've heard somewhat that like now you force order when you know regardless of feeling in certain areas you go this is what i do because um because that kind of discipline just so many positive things come from that that like emotions are up and down that i usually feel you know, like, total despair and then, like, some random joy and then laugh about something within, like, a five-minute spectrum. But um, anyway, what would you say that, you know, that, like, that that now you... I don't know, just principle is first now. And that, you know, obviously, and this is going to make me sound like a super old man or whatever, but um, culture now is just, like, you know, anything that feels right is right, which... Is obviously self-contradicting, but um, just this emo- this mentality that just like whatever feels right at this moment is what you should be doing because why wouldn't you do it? It makes you and it makes you feel good. But that every um, and this isn't really a question, but just every man I respect or every person whose life uh, I respect, they hold themselves accountable and in that they live off principle that decision or emotion follows that and you know i'm not at that place that's why a major reason i'm doing this podcast is that i'm still very driven by emotion first but anyway any thoughts on that i, I didn't do a great job of making that a question
1: no i you hit on a very good point i have to do and and i have to pray for strength and courage to be able to do this but I have to do the next right thing whatever that is in life no matter how I feel. That is one of the absolute most important things. And what was the first thing? Life. What was the first thing the first area that you did that? You
0: know what I mean? What was the very first thing in, in your story that you put your foot down and said every day I do this or whatever? Well,
1: um just for example, maybe I don't feel like getting up and going to work, or I don't want to go to church, or many, many, you know, or I don't want to get up and do my daily reflection this morning, or I don't want to go to that meeting, or I don't want to read the Bible tonight. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. Well, if I do those things every day and don't put them off, don't procrastinate, then which is what I do. And I see the benefit of those things. I see, uh, the compass, the things that are being accomplished in life and the, uh, lack of chaos and peace and, and the lack of, uh, ups and downs and, and swings. Um, but a very important part of my walk today is, getting out of myself and trying to uh, reach out to others Um, and staying busy doing positive things and not just doing what I feel like doing keeps me out of my head Mm -hmm. which goes back somewhat to what you were talking about earlier you know if I'm dwelling on all these things that uh, um, I perceive is not going well in my life if I can keep myself busy and thinking about what what am I doing for somebody else what I need to do to get ready to to go help this this person or or uh, go prepare my son, I need to prepare my Sunday school lesson tonight um, or uh, you know different things I need to do to uh, I, I work with others who are walking in the path behind me and uh, do, you, do you still have
0: moments where you do you still have these extremely emotional moments like you would have had years ago? And I don't I don't know the answer to that. I just know that, like, where I am right now, that, um, you know, I've made a decision to, to do this uh, as a way for me to, like, slowly mature and stuff, to just speak to people who are farther down the road. But, like, as good as I may be doing one particular day or week, I just have, like, crazy moments where... I feel like all is lost, you know what I mean? And, I'm, and again, I'm not saying you do, uh, but just do you have those moments, and obviously you probably react to those different than you would have years ago. But uh, just, I don't know. Do you ever have those well, moments?
1: Well, one thing about uh, being in a recovery program, being in church, is that I acquire tools to deal with situations in my life. And there's probably not a day goes by where I don't feel some sense of depression. Um, And one of the things that I have learned is that I can change what I'm thinking about. And um, recently, one of the things I've been doing, which I believe that I need to get better at and continue doing is memorizing Bible verses. Those are just our armor, our protection, um, and you know, our sword and our shield, uh, to fight against Satan. Cause remember, uh, Satan is the one who's after us. You got, we ha- I have to realize, uh, who the enemy is and, and, and fight against him. Um, or you will say that? Um,
0: I would just say that if you're listening to this and uh, and you know it's starting to get uh, <laughs> preachy or whatever, um, which I'm not looking at you for the reason that it seems like I'm looking at you because I looked at it when I said that. I'm um, speaking for me. I'm asking the question. So, but <laughs> but all all that to say, um, I tend to be very cynical when it comes to listening to something like this. That's like a way to better yourself. That um, I don't know. I'm just. It's probably just like arrogance or whatever it is. Or um, I just don't want to discount what what the listener may be feeling because emotion is so raw depending on what it is you're going through. Um, but just want to speak to that person that, um, and this is going to sound really, really like churchy or whatever, and it is, but um, I would just say, you know, I, I was in church for 10 or 15 uh, years uh, and I um, before I really understood God's kindness towards me and I would just say uh, to whoever um, I don't want to word this right because even saying even phrasing it that way is arrogant but uh, but just that if you run to God no matter how horrible the situation is, and no matter how much drama or emotion is in your mind and stress and all that that uh that God is not concerned with making you do better but just wants to be close to you and and i mentioned this on the i think on the last episode but that every struggle i have goes back to some kind of fear and some kind of loneliness and isolation and some kind of deep need that i don't see uh, being met by anyone around me. And, you know, most of those needs I feel like are so deep that I can't even bring them up. And, um, just to that person that God so loves you and, and, um, and just wants to be near you that, and I can't say that without it sounding silly, but I I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that, um, When I really came to God uh, after I went through that stuff, it was the first time in my life because I was raised in somewhat similar to the way you were that I was raised with extremely moral surroundings, but it was the first time that I felt detached from my actions, good or bad, that humans will always judge other humans on what we do because it's how we're wired and asking someone not to judge that way is just going against the way that, that we're wired but that God sees every motive of the decisions I've made. And so when I do something or I fall and it's really bad, it's not that it's not bad, but that God sees every motive and every instinct and every need that led to this falling. And that over time, God is slowly uh, can repair those fears and very delicately You know that I almost don't know how to say this without it being smug or whatever, because I don't know how to say this without pretending that I'm somewhere better. But um, I'm somewhere slightly better than I was, and I know that. And that that is only because um, God took these inherent like fears, and just like the fear of my life coming, going, and it not meaning anything to anyone. That you know, everyone thinks I'm funny or whatever or just whatever they think I don't know what they think but but that at the end of the day no one really cares about me at all and you know and if I you know if I died now it would only be a matter of time for everybody just kind of moved on because I see how they do that with other people and that there's this inherent need for closeness that no other human meets and that God is so not turned off by things that we do because what we do don't doesn't sway Him. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, and this is a never-ending struggle with my life, that um, when mistakes are made, I don't believe that that really angers God or, like, pisses Him off, because I don't think, and this comes from previous struggle, that I have that kind of sway over God's emotions. That true is true, whether I believe it or not and I believe God is God whether I care or not, and that because of that, my wrongdoing and my right doing do not sway God, that God is completely above that, and that I cannot make Him in my mind, and I can't break Him in my mind because of areas that have fallen, and, and am falling now. And um, anyway, don't have a whole lot more to say on that other than if you're in a place right now where you feel like you can't tell anyone, especially can't tell the ones close to you, and you don't feel you just don't feel close enough to anyone to trust anyone that um, that God just has compassion on you and sees the instinct behind every um, fear and every fault in that you know even my version of God if you listen to me and think of God through the lens of what I've said or didn't say that will be very skewed because of every flaw that I have but that if you go directly to him and ask and address him with honesty however that looks whether it's yelling or or sweetness or just whatever that is god can take that total honesty um that he will meet you in that place and um anyway thank you so much tim for your time thank you for your honesty and uh thank you for asking me i'm honored and this has been really great i'm super hungry and so (laughs) and so we will see you guys next monday Peace.